Welcome to the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Davidson, and in this podcast, we'll explore the art and science of negotiation in real world situations. Whether you're negotiating a business deal, asking for a raise, or trying to resolve a conflict with a colleague or loved one, negotiation is an essential skill that can help you achieve your goals and build better relationships. Through interviews with experts, real life stories, and practical tips and techniques, we'll deep dive into the strategies and tactics that can make you a better negotiator. From understanding your own negotiation style, to reading body language, handling difficult conversations, and overcoming common challenges, this podcast will give you the tools you need to negotiate with confidence and achieve your objectives. So whether you're a seasoned negotiator looking to refine your skills, or someone who's new to the game, join us as we explore the world of negotiation in real life. In this episode of Negotiation in Real Life, I speak with Kerry Harris, the Director and Founder of Focus Consultants, a boutique consultancy specialising in business system design and digital transformation. Kerry has had an extensive executive career as a Chief Operating Officer and Chief Financial Officer in member-based organisations. She is an experienced, independent, non-executive director with the expertise in finance, audit, risk and compliance, and has a strong focus on corporate governance, including financial and non-financial external reporting to include strategy and risk management, ESG, and aligning performance management with strategy. Currently, Kerry chairs Women On Side, a member and advocacy organisation, is a non-executive director with Volunteering Australia and chairs the VA Finance and Audit Committee and is on the Veterinary Registration Board of Victoria. Kerry recently completed her appointment on the CPA Australia Nominations Committee and CPA Australia Victoria Divisional Council. In our discussion today, we speak about negotiation in sport, managing volunteers, dealing with information inequality, using position statements to ensure parties are clear around their interests, the importance of losing the fear of negotiation and conflict, managing requests to do it for free, building the bridges of trust, looking after yourself in times of conflict, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. Welcome to the show, Kerry. It's really nice to have you here on Negotiation in Real Life. Thanks, Nicole. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. So, Kerry, you've got some fantastic experience in not only operating at high-level executive roles in organisations, but also as non-executive director on a number of organisations. Perhaps before we start talking about some of your experience of negotiation in those capacities, you can just give our listeners a brief overview of how you describe yourself and your career. That's an interesting way to start. I, I, I describe myself as a very non-linear person. I think like most women, I've had a very non-linear career. Um, I'm, I trained as an accountant and then whilst I was at uni, I sort of said, actually, I want to be an accountant in the sporting industry. And so I did that and spent 25 years working in sport um, as an accountant and working my way up. Um, to executives so at the executive level and then a few years ago I started my own business because I was I'm really interested in how do you design business systems that streamline operations but more importantly how do you increase job satisfaction of those people because working in the sport and and the for-purpose sector 
you're very resource poor. And I found over my journey that a lot of people have really low job satisfaction and then for, you know, quite a number of people. So it got me thinking about how, how can I work alongside the for-purpose sector to streamline operations and um, to hopefully find more time in people's day. Fantastic. And um, I think that's how we came across each other was through the for-purpose sector and, and it's an area, particularly in sports, um, I've had a few clients recently and I think um, that idea about building that engagement is really important, isn't it? Because, you know, what I've seen is obviously a lot of people come into that industry because they're passionate about the sport or they're passionate about being in sports generally, but that's not always enough to, to give them the job satisfaction if there aren't some other things. So it mm. sounds like really interesting work. And I'm sure also probably involves some fairly difficult negotiations in terms of helping people with managing their those limited resources and, and where they're going to go. And, and I would imagine that often you find yourself as the middle person in those negotiations, helping different factions within an organisation manage those resources. Would that be a fair assumption? Mm, oh, yeah, spot on, Nicole. Um, the work that I do now is actually, uh, I am very much the middle person navigating, negotiating, um, you know, how to design uh, efficient operations and, and how do we look at things differently and how do we streamline. So I'm very much... Um, I'm no longer in the organisations, but I'm very much in the middle of the organisations. At, at some and some points in time, I'm the hub, and I'm wrangling a number of stakeholders who all have different motivations, different interests, different emotions. Yep. Um, you talked about that word passion. A lot of people talk about passion in the for-purpose sector because that's primarily why a lot of people get involved. So. How do you? Sometimes passion is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it can be can be in the dark side as well. That's right, isn't it? A, a, a bit too much, and it becomes a little blinding. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. So, what are some of the experiences that you've had through your career that have helped you to manage this role as the intermediary in these negotiations in your current role? I think. What strikes me is how much the personalities involved in a in a negotiation determine the outcome, mm. and um, you know the the different types of people that come to the table, and also too in the for purpose sector you have paid staff, but quite often you'll have volunteers involved in negotiations as well, and um, because it might be volunteers are involved in the operational side of the business, or it could be volunteers that are sitting on the board and you're negotiating with board members. So for me, it's very much about how much, um, I guess, baggage they bring to the negotiation, how much time they've had to prepare for the negotiation or for, for the input. Um, and I do see that that influences the outcome mm. because sometimes you spend a lot of time going round and round, um, I guess, providing information and providing background to get to a starting point because not everybody's at the same starting point and how do we get everybody to that same starting point, the same information, and have they heard it? 
have they heard the have they heard the information and they're all on the same page with that information that's one of the challenges isn't it because particularly i think if they're coming from a different starting point themselves the minute they start to hear something that doesn't align with their own belief they may turn off the old uh, listening muscles they hear it but they don't actually listen to it mhm and then when when you're also in the for-purpose sector as well, quite often you're a membership-based organisation. So are you there as a person, as an individual, or are you there representing your members? And that's an interesting dynamic as well because, you know, you ought to be there. You've been elected or you represent an organisation that's a membership organisation. You ought to be there to represent what your members want as well. Mm-hmm. So, but quite often I have seen negotiations where the, the individual is representing themselves or their views rather than the view of the membership. And that's interesting. That conflict as well. of interest is a really big piece, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and I guess having to deep dive into understanding what the interests are at both those sort of individual and organisational and member levels is um, one of the fundamentals that needs to be done, but presumably quite challenging. Have you? Have you had any examples where that's been a particularly tricky situation and how you've handled that? I think the the main thing that I work on is trying to provide as much information as possible before you go into any. And at the, at the end of the day, in a negotiation, you, you want an outcome and you want a decision, mm. you know. Um, so what I've found really useful is providing as much information as possible and also um, in, in a variety of ways as well. I think having working groups, so dedicated working groups, mm-hmm. because quite often and in the work that I do, I'm dealing with potentially up to 10 different legal entities and they all have staff and boards and, and so you've got the multiplier effect. So what I found that works really well is actually appoint a working group who represents that wider group and then work with that group and, and get them to be a conduit as well, but then also provide lots of background information to the wider group. But before you come to um, the, the decision-making forum, where, whatever that might be, whether that's a, a vote or whether it's a workshop or whether it's, you know, whatever forum that is, is to actually get position statements and say, where, where are you at? Are you in? Are you almost in? Are you almost out? <laughs> are you completely out? <laughs> And because then you know what to do when you come together for that decision-making time. And and can I ask, when you do those position statements, do you get people to explain why they're at that position as well? So what you're doing through that, and, and I can see you nodding and I just realised we're on audio, so I just confirm that to the audience that you've agreed with that. But the, the yes. thing I love about that is by actually making those subgroups go through that process of coming up with a position statement, you're actually forcing them into conversations to get clarity that they may otherwise not have had themselves. So it's a really great exercise Correct. to start them having that conversation before they come into the room and, and you've got you know perhaps that one representative who may not be as across the wider needs for their group and then ends up having to duplicate things because this person goes down one path and when they take it back to their group, their group doesn't even like what they've suggested or what they're indicating that they may agree to. It's a fabulous process. Absolutely. Uh, and and it, it does force them to consult. 
because um, what, what, what I ask them to do is actually put that position statement in writing mm. and then all of the position statements are collated and provided to the wider group. So, you know, so there, there's no hiding. Yeah. yeah, there's no so there's no hiding, and it does hopefully that the intent is that they do consult widely with whom whomever they need to, whether it's their board, whether it's the executive team, whether it's the wider membership group, yeah. And then then the position position statements are collated and provided to the to everyone who's going to be involved in that decision making forum. Mm. Yeah, so. so that's that's a really good way of understanding what some of the drivers are for each of the different stakeholders, understanding what their concerns are so that they can all be part of that discussion. So really interesting. So in terms of some of the experiences that you've had that have helped you get to this point, how have you developed mm -hmm. your skills in wrangling these negotiations through your career? What love to know, and I always like listeners to get examples of how they may develop their own skills. I'd love to know what's been mm -hmm. the biggest difference in your career. For me, it's practice, practice, practice. I think um, I do. I do like learning, and I do. I try and find opportunities to learn all the time. Um, whether that's theory, but I think I learn best from others mm -hmm. and observing what others do and going, "Hey, that that was really good." I really like that and incorporating it into to what I do. So it's it's I guess it's a process of continue continuous improvement. Yeah. And always looking and going, well, I don't know everything and I'm not the absolute expert in this. So when I come across people or processes or information, I just incorporate it into what I do so that it just gets better and better. So I think at and I wouldn't say I'm an, uh, a skilled negotiator. I've, it's not something that I do or ha had done a lot. And so I have done a little bit of formal training, but it was many years ago. And so, you know, fortunate enough to do a, a one-day workshop or something like that. And um, elements of that workshop have remained with me. And then I just constantly read. So I wouldn't pinpoint it to actually one, one thing. It's more a process of just keeping your ears open and your eyes open and going yeah. and recognising, oh, that, that's actually really a valuable way of doing it. And, and I think one of the biggest things I learnt as well was not to be fearful of negotiation because I used to go into negotiations thinking, oh, here we go. <laughs> And, you know, you've got to get rid of the fear of conflict, I think, when you go into a negotiation. And, and that's, that's been a journey for me. I think you've got to get rid of that fear. And I, I am now, um, I don't have that fear of conflict in negotiations, no. I think that's fantastic. So there's a couple of things that have come out from all of that for me. So the one I think what I've heard you talk about is really, you know, you seem to bring this mindset of curiosity, which I talk about as one of the foundation stones of of someone who's a negotiator, that that willingness to understand what's going on, not just from a content in terms of what what do I need to know about this negotiation, but how are people doing things and that sort of lifetime learning uh, mindset. What I've also picked up from that is is a degree of humility about this idea that there's always something new that I can learn. I haven't reached perfection. I'm I'm not the best at doing that something and, and being willing to be open to say, I can learn from other people. And I think once again, that's really essential 
you ever feel stuck in a negotiation or conflict? You're not quite sure what the next step should be? Friends and colleagues may give advice, but perhaps they're only seeing things from your side. My new negotiation GP service is for exactly that situation. You can book a short, standard or long consultation where we will explore your situation using a systematic approach. You will walk away with concrete steps to follow and an increased confidence to manage the situation. To learn more, head to my website at nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au where you can book a consultation online. Don't forget, I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, team training and expert advice on specific negotiations. My tailored approach is designed to meet your specific needs and my proven methodologies and strategies are grounded in the latest research and best practices. So whether you're a small business owner, a corporate executive or anyone in between, let me help you achieve your negotiation goals and maximise your success. I think um, another learning point too as well is reactions to the, the things that you try or the, the, the methods that you use. I quite often look for reactions. And if something's working well, you go, great, keep that. But if something's not working well, then you go, why didn't it? Is it the audience or is it, is it me? Or is it, um, is it just, you know, just not working? Yeah, perhaps a different context. Maybe this thing works in one context, but not mm. in this different Correct. context. And once again, I think that's perfect because what you're talking about there is that time to reflect. And the simple question after any negotiation or conversation to say, what did I do in that conversation that worked well? What could I have done differently? If you could take the time after every negotiation just to ask those two questions, I think your negotiation skills increase dramatically. And, and that's what I hear you talking about. The other thing I wanted to pick up on from what you said was this idea about the fear of negotiation. I think that's really interesting. And, and I think particularly with women or particularly with introverts, there is often this fear that negotiation is a bit like a battle. You know, we're going to be fighting against each other. Has there been anything specific that's helped you lean into conflict and feel more comfortable with it? Well, Nicole, I'm both of those things. I'm a woman and I'm an introvert. And had it what what did I do? I think I think age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting to a point where it's like, you know what? I, I simply I do care, but I don't care anymore. Yeah. If that makes sense. I and I come back to what I said earlier is more experience at it and and losing the fear about it. So I think it again come back to practice, 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 and going, the more I do this, the more I feel comfortable with it. And then, you know, on that sort of your own personal development, professional development, feeling more comfortable in your skin and going, actually, this is not personal. This is this is work or this is a negotiation, this is a discussion. Um, this is not about me. This is about what's on the table. And I think, yeah, sometimes you learn that early on. For me, I learned that later in life. Yeah. And look, I think I've probably had a similar experience in that way, Kerry, in terms of things that worried me or, you know, the, the fear of being not liked for going in too hard in a negotiation yes or the fear of upsetting somebody was always quite a struggle. And I think like you, as, I, as I've got older, that 
less of a concern. And I agree as well. It's it's about realising that this negotiation conversation is not about who I am as a person. It's not about my character. It's a job that I am doing. And although emotion is part of it, it's not about whether I'm a good or bad person. So I think that's really helpful advice because we know there are a lot of people in business who are introverts, who are perhaps a little naturally conflict averse. I love a good bit of conflict now, but it's not to have an argument. It's to understand others and be curious. Whereas I think some people still approach conflict as great. They love a good, hearty, vigorous debate where they spend their time trying to prove the other person wrong or trying to show their own intelligence. I would much rather have a conversation where the other person is doing most of the talking and I'm learning from them. I like that approach and and that's how I'm approaching conflict now. It's actually an opportunity to learn because you hear different points of view. And so it is not about, um, you know, beating someone down with your arguments or your evidence or, you know, even your personality, but it's actually an opportunity to go, I hadn't thought about that. And yes, that adds to this conversation and actually makes it better. So I'll go, okay, yes, blue T-shirt's not the right way to go. Red T-shirts are, okay, yep, I accept. It's interesting because I always say to somebody, no matter how certain you are that your solution is the best one, you've got to go into that negotiation with at least, you know, I throw the number around, generally it's like at least a half a percent chance that you might not be right because the minute you go in Mm -hmm. with a fixed view, it becomes that battle of wills again. So that idea about being willing to hear makes sense. I'm interested Mm -hmm. as well because we've been talking mainly so far about you are facilitating negotiation between other parties and often a large number of parties. But as a business owner, you also have a lot of negotiations for yourself. I'm interested, does your experience of those negotiations for yourself, whether they're about fees or scope or difficulties that have arisen in a, in a project, do you approach them the same way or do you find that you do things differently? In the early days, I, I, love, I love this question about fees because um, it's one I, because one of the things I do is I, I teach business skills to elite athletes. And so one of the questions you often get asked is, well, how much do I charge? Mm. And if you're too cheap, they might not take you. If you're too expensive, they might not take you. And But how do you find that sweet spot in the middle? So with my business in the early days, and I, I made a very conscious decision that I was going to be in the for-purpose sector. I, that that was my place. Um, I, I like that place. So I, um, in the early days, had a fee structure based on the organisation I was dealing with and I was very much on the cheap side. Yep. And then as I grew as a business, grew as a, a business owner and my client base grew, then I became more confident to negotiate fees based on what I believe I'm worth. Yeah. That, that's an evolution, I think, and I, I, I hear that a lot with people wanting to go in, you know, when I'm talking to them about setting up their business, they they talk about fees a lot from that side of things. In terms of scope, look, I've had many, many, throughout my entire career, I've had many, many, um, much experience with um, developing a scope. So I felt like really comfortable in that space and I knew what was in and what was out of scope. 
and because I've been on the other side. So being an accountant, you're quite often dealing with scope with auditors or consultants and the like. And so, you know what, I got very good at knowing what's in scope and what's out of scope. And then when things go a little awry, thankfully they haven't for me maybe missing a deadline here and there (laughs) (laughs) and that's so so, you know that that is a negotiation in itself and if it's that sometimes you're up until 3am yeah yeah finishing it off so yeah I think what I like about being in business for myself and negotiating you know what's what's good for me and and my business and for my clients is that I'm quite flexible I'm, I'm in a place now where I have made a few decisions around what I will and won't do and what I will and won't charge. And so there are now some not negotiables in my business that, um, that I now stick to. And surprise, surprise, I haven't lost any clients. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, as you said, it's it's the confidence that comes with time in a little way. And I think one of the benefits and, and what I hope for people listening to this is by hearing these stories, it helps them build that confidence faster because I, I think I feel a bit the same as you in the early days of my business, that ability to negotiate price and the ability to believe in the value was more challenging. And the more you get some runs on the board, you become actually better at standing up for yourself. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I assume because I have this in the for, in the for profit sector, but I assume in the for purpose sector, there's a number of requests get done to do work for nothing. Oh, could you just help us out with this, or can you just do a little bit of that? Have you got any specific mm-hmm. techniques of how you manage those sort of examples? Mm, I, I do. So, the, a couple of things there is I build in a free component into my, um, I guess, my proposal. So I will offer, I will say, um, one of them is fixed fee. So I work on a fixed fee basis with the work, you know, and I scope that out accordingly. But I'll always add something in there um, that's free. So it might be a one-hour consultation session. It might be, um, you know, a free training session or, or something like that. I always add value that's perceived to be free. It has paid dividends and sometimes I will do things pro bono Mm. um, or what I call low bono. So I've created a low bono rate, which is very, very low, and that gets you sometimes in the door. Yes. And and I make it clear that it is a low bono rate. Yeah, I try and build it into my proposal anyway, and I think my fee structure is that they know they're getting value for money so they don't ask for anything free as well. That's right. And I love that idea of low bono because I think that idea of charging something is important because we know the old adage that anything's free isn't isn't valuable. People don't value those things that they haven't paid for. So that element of actually making them pay something and and feel a little bit of pain to to recognise the value that they're Mm. getting in exchange for that pain is is a really good tip for people. And as you said, it it gives you that ability to to get in and and try something and, and build the trust that's often necessary to go to the next step because I don't know about you but if I'm trying out a new service provider and in fact I was having a conversation with someone the other day about a service that I'm looking at and it was quite a hefty fee and I'm like but I don't know if you're going to do the job properly that I need Mm -hmm. and that sense Mm -hmm. of trust needs to be there for people to make an investment so the low bono can be a great way of, of managing that. 
And it's an interesting thing you talk about trust because one of the, the things that I work on, not with clients um, and in various projects, is building bridges of trust. And how you do that is you find a project that has a high level of success and it builds that trust so that you, you know, you, and I call them, call it building the bridges of trust yeah. because quite often the client base that I have, not, not all the parties trust each other for a variety yes. of reasons, yeah. Yeah, and that facilitation. So I remember um, a couple of years back I went and did an advanced mediation course at the program and negotiation at Harvard and the first half of the course was on sort of typical one-on-one -on -one mediations that I do a lot of. The second half was more around these community facilitations and really big conflicts, which sounds more like what you're involved in. And, and it's very similar. They were talking about this idea of getting groups together and finding those areas of commonality to start with to build that sort of sense of trust and have people mm -hmm. going. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think once again, I, you know, what, what I find interesting in this whole space is by the time people get to the more advanced stages of their career where they've had some experience, a lot of people have figured these things out for themselves, as you have. It's just that if somebody had told us some of this earlier on, it may have happened much quicker. <laughs> uh, yes, it would have saved a lot of pain. Yes, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah I do. Uh, yeah. It's interesting um, that we coming back to that sort of that confidence to negotiate and, and that fear of conflict. What I find interesting, particularly in the sports sector, is that it's a very male-dominated sector. Yes. And that can be, that that is a very challenging environment for women, but it's also a very challenging environment for introverts. Now, when you're yes. both, um, that, that's just another, another layer. So I think you do build a bit of resilience, mm. yes, at times, but you need to know when to go in and when to retreat. As well. Yes. Well, and I think the other thing is you've got to protect yourself along the way, don't you? You've got to actually look after yourself from being in an environment which is, you know, can be quite stressful to, to really factor in how am I going to look after myself? How am I going to create space for me to rest and restore myself after I've been in this high energy, quite draining extrovert world? Mm-hmm. I guess the question for you around that is, is there anything that you do to, to look after yourself when you are in that environment? I've developed a, a number of um, techniques. I used to take copious notes and I've stopped doing that. And I now just listen. I tune out when I, I know that there's no value in that conversation, if that makes sense. And then I pick out what is relevant for me so yeah. that that's whilst I'm in there I also make sure that I strategically sit somewhere that's the best place for me to sit as well while I'm in there but then when I come out there are people I go to to talk to and debrief with and then that that personal care of what are the things that are good for me and I know what those things are so yeah but I, I've got a question for you you live in the world of negotiation yeah how do you live in a world of negotiation and how do you um, look after yourself given that you, you surround it sounds like you would be surrounded by conflict or discussion all the time yeah and, and a lot of the negotiation work that I do is in the conflict space so you've got some fairly stressed 
sometimes quite hostile people. So it is something that I have really focused on doing over the last couple of years, particularly in COVID where my mediation levels ramped up and I was seeing people under immense stress mm -hmm. um, on a regular basis. And I'm somebody who actually does kind of absorb other people's stress. I'm, you know, I'm quite a caring person by nature. So it, it concerns me deeply when I see somebody who's quite upset. So there's a couple of things that I've had to do for that. One is to, a little bit like what you were saying earlier, I have to remind myself that I haven't caused any of these situations, that I'm not mm -hmm. responsible for them. I'm here to help, but they're not ultimately my problems. So I have to remind myself of that on a regular basis. And the other thing that I have started doing over the last couple of years is meditation. So I meditate regularly. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, you know, my early 20s self would have said, you've got to be kidding, meditation. No, that's a bit hippie. But now it, it is actually a really important part of my mm -hmm. regular routine. So I have a couple of standard meditations that I do. And if I've come out of a particularly hostile mediation, I will actually just go and do a five minutes of just not even a meditation, just some slow, controlled breathing, just to bring myself back and 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 just drop those adrenaline and cortisol levels out of the body. So it has been something really important for me um, to manage over time. That breathing is so important, isn't it? Particularly when you're in a, like you say, a hostile situation. I'll share a story with you is mm. that I um, was once having to um, performance manage a staff member and this was fairly early on in my management career and so I wrote a script because yep. I thought this is HR, I've got to do it right and, you know, there's, there's things, if you do it wrong, it's all, all goes pear-shaped. So I wrote a script and I read from the script yep. because I didn't want to get it wrong. So that was my first mistake because there is no right and wrong. So long as the intent is good, then... Yep. And then I forgot to breathe. I just kept on reading and talking and I forgot to breathe. And I literally had to stop and go <gasps> like this <laughs> because I forgot to breathe. That's how much stress I was under. Yeah. And it, that, that's never left me. And so, yes, breathe. Everybody's take a moment before you even go in. Yeah. Breathe. Absolutely. If, if you're feeling anxious before you go into one of these conversations, mm. just taking a few minutes and, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot, a few in, outs, even one or two of those will start the body, it will start sending a message to your brain that you're safe. Yes. And that's what this is all about. It's your body needs to know that you're safe and the psychological threats of going into these anxiety-ridden, challenging conversations our body reacts as if someone was about to club us over the head. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sending out the adrenaline, it's sending out the cortisol so that we can either stay and fight this person or run for our lives, which is fine if you're running for your life or staying and fighting because the body uses up all that adrenaline and cortisol in physical activity. But where it's a psychological threat, those hormones just stay in the body. And so the ability to do the breath, the breath work helps to just drain some of those chemicals, which have their point but not necessarily going into a challenging conversation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yes. And, and look, it's it's something that you just, you know, I think, as you said earlier, you can always learn. And I'm always taking that time to reflect on what's gone on in any situation, whether it's a negotiation I've been helping someone with or whether it's a mediation. I'm always going, where could I have done something differently? Why did something perhaps not work? Or why did that work so well? 
mm. you know, what was it about it? So that reflection um, becomes a really important piece as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, one of the things that I've learned along the way as well is um, how do you prepare yourself, I guess, emotionally, if you know that or what are some of the physical things you can do? And um, so breathing, for me, one of them is breathing. The other one is that I always have a glass of water uh -huh. in a negotiation because if I need a moment, then I take a sip of water. Yeah, it gives you that space, doesn't it? And mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the things that I always say to people, you know, don't be afraid of a pause in a negotiation because particularly particularly for someone who would be more on the introvert side of things, you've got to but you've got to be able to have that time to reflect on what's been said and to think about it. And you know, one of the problems that comes in any conversation is often what's happening is while the person's talking, we're already starting to think about what we're going to respond mm -hmm. you know so they haven't even finished speaking and we're busy in our little heads processing what am I going to say about this what does it mean how am I going to tell them that they're wrong whatever it might be and of course the minute we start doing that there's this internal dialogue going in our, on in our head at the same time that there's this external dialogue from the other person and of course anyone who's got small children knows you cannot listen to two voices at once mm -hmm. and that is true whether they're internal or external and so that ability to have space to think and reflect is really important because it actually makes you a better listener if you know that you are able to take that space to stop and reflect afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think it's where a lot of people fall down. So, and, and I love that idea of having the glass of water there as the tool to make you feel okay about that. That's perfect. Yes, because, I mean, it works during the, but it also works for me because it sits there and reminds me. So, yep. you know, okay. There's there's my Dumbo feather. Yeah. Oh, what a what a beautiful analogy. I love that analogy. I think I might be borrowing that one. Yeah. Fantastic. So, if there was one thing that you would tell your younger self to help you develop these skills faster, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, conflict is not bad. Uh, that that would be the number one. Don't fear conflict. Yeah, lose the fear. Love that. Well, Kerry, I have really enjoyed chatting to you about this and, and okay. thank you for sharing your experiences. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to tell the listeners about what you do and how they might get in touch with you if they are interested in having a conversation? Yeah, thanks, Nicole. Uh, look, likewise, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been, um, yeah, I've, like you said, a conversation that has just flowed, which has been really enjoyable. So thank you for the opportunity. So um, my business is Focus Consultants. So, um, yeah, Kerry at focusconsultants.com.au. And what I like to do is just buy more time in people's day. Fantastic, Kerry. And I'll put your details on the show notes for the podcast as well. But once Great. again, thank you so much for coming on board and sharing your experiences. It's been an absolute delight. Likewise. Thanks, Nicole. That's all for this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and learned something new that you can apply in your own negotiations. Remember, negotiation is a skill that can be developed and refined over time. So keep practicing and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on social media or email us directly. And if you liked this episode, 
please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us to reach more people and continue to produce high quality content. Until next time, keep negotiating in real life.